You're listening to the Oldham Podcast Network. Welcome to 30 Days of Stories in the Underground Railroad in Kentucky, produced by the Oldham County History Center. I am your host, Frenchie Sweat, and I volunteer and serve as secretary on the Oldham County History Center Board of Directors. The Underground Railroad refers to the efforts of enslaved African Americans to gain their freedom by escaping bondage. Whenever there were enslaved African Americans, there were people eager to escape. The first step on the Underground Railroad began when that freedom seeker stepped away from the place where they were enslaved, a home, a farm, a field, a steamboat. Many freedom seekers began their journey unaided, following the North Star, and many completed their self-emancipation without assistance. But each decade leading up to the Civil War in the United States where slavery was legal, there was an increase in active efforts to assist escapes. Kentucky became the first option available for fugitives to escape from Tennessee, Alabama, and other southern states, including Kentucky, because of the 664-mile border of the Ohio River, allowing for more potential to reach the free soil of Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio. Kentucky became central to slave escapes by its virtue of its physical and political geography. For that reason, Kentucky and the states along its northern border became central to the Underground Railroad, a battleground where freedom was tested and stories of courage and sacrifice were made. Our guest reader today is Bridget Stryker. Bridget Stryker was born in Syracuse, New York, and grew up outside Rochester, New York, on Lake Ontario. She has lived in northern Kentucky since 1995 and Boone County since 2000. She worked as an archaeologist and a mapping specialist for an environmental consulting company before earning her master's degree in library science from the University of Kentucky in 2001. She has been at the Boone County Public Library since December 2001 and the head of the local history department since 2005. She is also vice chair of the Boone County Historic Preservation Review Board. The Boone County Public Library is an affiliate member of the National Park Services Network to Freedom. She would like to encourage sites, programs, and research facilities who have Underground Railroad and African-American enslavement history to consider joining the Network to Freedom. While not at work, she spends quite a bit of time with her husband and two girls. They like to travel and visit family. At home, she likes to read supernatural fiction and do small craft projects. According to Bridget, the history of Kentucky's Underground Railroad has been somewhat ignored throughout the 20th century. 
It is very important for Kentucky to actively participate in the telling of the Underground Railroad and African-American enslavement. There is a wealth of information available in primary sources and community memory, but we must discuss the past and work together to tell our stories. The Boone County Public Library is currently creating a database of all enslaved African Americans and their stories and history for Boone County and surrounding counties called African Americans of the Kentucky Borderlands. Bridget's story is Boone County, Kentucky, and slavery. Hi, welcome to the Underground Railroad in Boone County, Kentucky. Today, as we're celebrating the International Underground Railroad Month, we're going to be talking about Boone County's role in the Underground Railroad. For many years, we didn't know a whole lot about the Underground Railroad in Boone County. No one really talked about it. We knew that we had 39 miles of riverfront along the Ohio River, Boone County, as a slave-holding county in a slave-holding state, had a high percentage of enslaved people in Boone County up through to the Civil War. And we knew there was information about that. We knew that there were underground railroad stations and routes on the other side of the river in Ohio and Indiana. But we didn't have a whole lot of information about Boone County. So our Underground Railroad project, as we started it, it ended up growing and morphing into the African Americans of Boone County initiative. So this is the first part of that whole big story that we want to tell. And the purpose of talking about the African Americans of Boone County and their initiative is to give African Americans a voice in Boone County's history and to connect the descendants of enslaved to that history to give a voice where there was none. Just to give you a little bit of a background on Boone County in 1860, over 20% of Boone County's population was African American in 1860. All but 45 of those individuals were enslaved. By 1900, less than 5% of the African American population remained. So between 1860 and 1900, we had a mass migration out of the county. And part of that meant that the history, the oral history, the records of, of those African Americans were lost. Boone County didn't talk about their enslavement past. They chose to not really acknowledge that history. So what the library started to do, starting early on in 2005, we realized that there was an issue. But in 2013, we knew that we had knowledge gaps. And we were asked to put together an Underground Railroad tour. I, of course, said yes. But at that time, we knew of one Universalist church. We had information on two escapes from Boone County. We knew of three basic migrations out of Boone County after the Civil War. And we had a general sense that there must have been underground railroad activity, but we didn't have any proof. 
we were given about eight months to put together a tour of five stops. And so we'll be talking about how we pulled all that information together, the information we found, and the stories we found. What you need to know about where we are today as the start of the Underground Railroad Project versus where we are now, seven years later, we know of one Revolutionary War veteran who was African-American. We have two Underground Railroad bus tours that we've given to over 900 people. We've found five African-American churches, 10 African-American communities that were here after the Civil War, over 50 Civil War veterans who were African-American, 86 enslaved burial sites and African-American cemeteries, over 100 documented escapes, not only in Boone County, but throughout Northern Kentucky. And we have documented over 3,300 enslaved, their, who they were related to, where they are buried, birth and death information, as much information as we can find on those individuals. We've done all of that in the past seven years, and it all started with just one Underground Railroad tour. So through an intense and systematic research at the local level, we, we really look at the granular level of history. So we go record by record through Boone County's records. We build upon previous research like building blocks. One project feeds into the other. So we started off with the Underground Railroad Tour. We added on a research collection. We became an affiliate of the National Park Service's Network to Freedom, and that has turned into a fairly substantial database project where all of our Underground Railroad information and our enslaved information is all tied together so it's fully searchable on the internet. So let's talk about Boone County on the border. We talked about the fact that there's 39 miles of riverfront and we knew that there were Underground Railroad routes in Ohio and in Indiana directly across from the river, directly across from Boone County. So what does that mean? Well, in some cases, the enslaved freedom seekers did travel up and down the Ohio River, but many times they were traveling on foot. If there were major routes, they had to go through Boone County. They just didn't start at the river. So we were trying to pull together as much information we could related to evidence. And the evidence is actually hidden in plain sight in the records. So you can look through a court record, and the court record might talk about a complaint against a free African-American in 1852 who was accused of helping enslaved escape from Boone County slaveholders. You may be able to find information in guardianship records because maybe, as in the Cincinnati 28, what you would find is someone would have to pay the slave catchers to go try to retrieve the freedom seekers. And sometimes the funds for that would come from the guardianship pay payment. So if the enslaved were held by somebody who was under the age of 21, 
under the age of 18, and there was a guardian in charge of all their financial records. Sometimes payment for the slave, slave catchers would be paid out from the inheritance. So you would have that information. You would have information about the enslaved in wills, um, where you would have a slaveholder, when he passes away, he might distribute his enslaved amongst his children or his grandchildren. And so we find records there. We also find records in newspapers. So we were looking through those. And every time we found a record, some mention, we would put it on a spreadsheet, and then we were trying to match up different stories with individual enslaved. We'd also have information of enslaved in birth and death records from starting in 1852. So you would have that information as well. We have a lot of information. So we've been trying all along to compile the information as we go. Were we surprised at how much information we had? Absolutely. We had no idea we had enough information. When we started back in 2013 and 2014, we were looking for enough information on five stops, just five places where we could stop, where we could take a bus and just start telling the story of the Underground Railroad. The first stop on our tour, we would stop in Richwood, Kentucky, and we talk about Margaret Garner. Now, at some point, I know you all are going to hear a bigger story about Margaret Garner, but just to kind of put it in perspective, she was from Richwood, Kentucky. Um, the farm is right adjacent to the Richwood Presbyterian Church. And the escape from Margaret, of Margaret Garner and her family from Richwood in January 1856 has been the focus of much controversy and has been the flagship story of Boone County's Underground Railroad history. Beloved, a fictionalized version of her escape and recapture was written by Toni Morrison in 1987 and was made into a movie in 1998 starring Oprah Winfrey. When I came to the department in 2005, it was the only story we had, was the story of Margaret Garner. And we really wanted to put her story in perspective with all of the other people who were enslaved in Boone County. But we felt important that every time we talk about the Underground Railroad history in Boone County, we start with Margaret Garner. We then traveled to Big Bone, Big Bone Lick State Park, a state historic site. And we talk about the intrigue and controversy surrounding the 1853 accusations of slave abscondment by local doctor Thomas J. Trundle. Court documents shine light on the dissension within the Union Big Bone neighborhood and provide evidence as to the route of freedom across the Ohio River to nearby Patriot, Indiana. When we look at the Underground Railroad history here in Boone County and the activities that happened in, in Boone County, it was almost like playing chess. We have found evidence of abolitionists and helpers working on both sides of the river to aid the freedom seekers. 
what we know what we know from our history is that in Boone County, because we had so much riverfront and all or most of our active communities were on the river at that time, the Ohio River was a highway, much like you have I-75 today, but it was the Ohio River, that there was quite a bit of connection between both sides of the river. The river was more narrow and it wasn't as deep. So it was much more easy to cross. A lot of times it was easier, like if you were in Big Bone or Rabbit Hash, to go over to the counties in Indiana to get your mail. You may go to church over there. You may have family living on both sides of the river. You may work on both both sides of the river. So the, the communities were very connected. The issue was, was the enslavement issue. So not only was there a lot of commerce and family activity across the river, that is the crossing point for many of the freedom-seeking activities. We knew that, and we were just trying to find these connections. So the Trundle accusations in 1853 were really interesting because it talked about you have a white man of prominence in the Union area, and he was lending money to his neighbors. A lot of people would have um, medical issues, and they would have to either give him something in return, so it was either a bartering agreement, um, or they owed him for medical services, and there was a lot of resentment. His story is interesting because it's not clear cut. The first part of the story that the first time we heard the story is that he was stealing the the enslaved and selling them down south. It was only later in the court documents that we get a much clearer picture that he was accused of helping the enslaved escape. He was arrested. He was taken to the Boone County Jail and held over for bond for $17,000, which is a tremendous amount of money back in 1853. And he feared for his life. The slaveholders around him were angry. And Dr. Trundle feared for his life. He thought he was going to be lynched from the jail by the courthouse here in Burlington. And he asked for his trial to be moved to Kenton County. His, his, he was moved and rehoused uh, in Independence in Kenton County, and then his bond was reduced to $11,000, still quite a bit of money. He never was able to raise money. As retaliation against Trundle and his family, every time uh, Dr. Trundle and his lawyers tried to call in the loans that he had out in the community, money he lent out to everyone in the community. They would countersue him, and, and the Boone County courts were always um, in favor of the people he was suing for for the loans back. So not only did he not get his money back, all these people that he was lending to and he was not able to raise his, his bond 
he had lawsuits against him where, where people were suing him for money. So there was a lot of retaliation in this county against someone who they perceived to be a threat towards the slaveholders. In 1854, as he was being held over for trial, the morning of his trial, he was found dead in his cell. Uh, there were a couple different uh, stories, uh, reports of how he died. It's still a mystery. And his is one of the stories that we, we point to when we talk about how dangerous it was for anyone to help freedom seekers. If you were African-American, you could pay with your life. If you were African American and you were helping a freedom seeker, you could be paid. You could pay for that with your life. If you were white, you could lose your business, lose your license. You could be fined or you could be jailed. Your family could lose their livelihoods. A lot of times, when we look at the at where there were escape crossings. We look at the ferry crossings in Boone County, from Boone County to Indiana or Ohio. Generally, the river was calmer. It pooled more in those areas, and it was not as fast. Now, businesses themselves, if a, if a ferry operator was caught aiding enslaved freedom seekers to get across the river, he, could lose his, he would lose his ferry license. He would be fined and he would be jailed. He could lose everything that kept his family alive. So so what would they do? A lot of times they would get help but not go on the ferry. There would be maybe a little skiff, a little boat uh, waiting near the ferry that they could get across the river on. In some cases, the ferry owners and operators, they would turn the other way. They wouldn't notice that someone was crossing the river. In 1841, the owners of the Anderson Ferry, which is still in existence today, they were caught up in some controversy where they were accused of helping an enslaved person across the river who was eventually caught. There was some maneuvering between the family to hide and protect the ferry business and the ferry license um, by having it in the ownership of another family member's name to kind of disassociate from the person who might be accused. It's really interesting that in the, in the records, it says that the person in question lost the ferry in a card game, so he gambled the ferry away. Um, but in reality, the person who he gambled it away to was his brother-in-law. And so they were able to kind of keep the accusations of helping on the Underground Railroad away from the ferry itself. And in that way, they protected the ferry. And we had always heard through oral history that, that the people who owned the um, Anderson family helped on the Underground Railroad, but we didn't really have proof. So a lot of times when we're looking at information um, 
and we're we're trying to decide where it fits. I have this story about the Anderson Ferry being lost in a in in a poker match, separate from a member of my team, Hillary Delaney. She found information in an article, a newspaper article, that talks about how this one family member who owned the business, how he was accused of helping with the Underground Railroad. And so then we look at the two pieces of information and we find that they happened at the same time. And we're like, oh, so they were trying to cover for the association with being associated with the Underground Railroad. And they're trying to make sure that nobody knows so there isn't retaliation against the business and the business can survive even if the former owner ends up being incarcerated or fined. So, and in Trundle's case, it was very evident what would happen if the slaveholders decided to retaliate against you for what you do on the Underground Railroad. Not only did Trundle lose his business, he lost his family and he lost his life. So the records that we find are really embedded deep within, in the records, in the history, and we've had to do a lot of digging over time to find them. So we're looking at Big Bone, and now we're going to be moving to Rabbit Hash. I'm, a lot of people know Rabbit Hash, Kentucky, for its general store and its dog mayor. But Rising Sun across the Ohio River from Rabbit Hash was a well-known hub of underground railroad activity. The mouth of Middle Creek, just up the river from Rabbit Hash, is a suspected crossing point for several escapes. In late 1847, conductor Laura Smith Haviland attempted an extraction of a rabbit hash family, but the attempt failed, in fact, in that story. So we found that story because Laura Smith Haviland is a famous, really well-known um, activist, abolitionist, um, and underground railroad conductor up in Michigan, and she wrote a uh, a journal and then wrote her remembrances in, in a book, a published book, and she talked about Boone County, and she talked about Rabbit Hash, and she talked about trying to help this family escape from Boone County, and it is, we found more information in just in that one narrative than we had ever for rabbit hash. But the important thing about it is to note that one source of information can open the doors and point us in the direction to find so much more information. So when we look at rabbit hash, and Laura smith Haviland talked about this story, and she mentioned a couple uh, free African-Americans who were living across the river. And we were able to look into those folks that lived across, those three blacks who lived across the river, and through the records, we determined that they were born in Boone County, that they were born enslaved in Boone County, they were um, manumitted through, either through wills, or they were, in one case, 
they were taken with their former slaveholder over to Rising Sun, Indiana. And while she was over there, she freed them. And then the two families lived together in the same area. And we believe that the family, the Berkshire family, ended becoming major conductors on the Underground Railroad. And we're finding this information just because it links back to Laura Smith Haviland. Um, the, the story that Laura Smith Haviland talks about is a man named John uh, Felix White who um, escaped from Boone County uh, a short time before the escape of the family or the escape attempt of the family. He escaped himself and made it up into Michigan. He had asked Laura Smith Haviland for help in bringing his family who were enslaved by the Stevens family down by Rabbit Hash um, to him in Michigan. So she said that she would attempt to try. She would try to get them out of Rabbit Hash. She went down to Rising Sun. She was, uh, she was light-complected, a white woman. However, the African-Americans, the, the free blacks in Rising Sun were also light-complected. So she pretended to be a aunt of one of the free black women in Rising Sun. And they went over into Rabbit Hash and they tried to contact Jane Stevens, who was the wife of John White. And they, she said, John wife wants you to come to him. He misses you. He loves you. Please come with me up to Michigan. And Jane Stevens said, no, I can't go. She said, not all of my children are here on this. Farm. Some of them are working for the family on different parts and different farms. So I, I'm not going to leave my children. Tell John that I love him and I miss him, but I can't go. So Laura Haviland goes back up to Michigan and she, she says to John White, I'm sorry, she wouldn't, she wouldn't leave. She, she wouldn't leave without all the kids. And John White begged, uh, Haviland to come back down to, uh, Rising Sun to try again. On the second attempt, Haviland met up with a man named William Allen, and William Allen was enslaved uh, in Boone County, and he was a conductor on the Underground Railroad. He helped lead individuals and families out of Boone County through Rising Sun. Many people ask, well, why didn't William Allen leave? Well, we believe that he had a young wife and child uh, who were also enslaved nearby, and he, he didn't want to leave them. So um, he, he sacrificed his own freedom by helping others find their freedom, uh, which is poignant just even talking about it. So Haviland met up with um, met up with William Allen, and William Allen said, "You, you, it's too dangerous to leave right now. Um, there were a lot of slave catchers and other people up and down the river at that point. 
um, a lot of patrols going up and down the river. There had been uh, an incident of forgery uh, of, of money. And so there were patrols looking for people crossing the river. Um, and, and William Allen said, it's not safe to try to cross with the family right now. They're not going to make it. You, you just can't take them now. And so Laura Havlin went back up to Michigan and she said to John White, you can't go. I'm sorry. We, we couldn't get them. It was too dangerous. There were too many people watching the river. We couldn't get them across. Now, John White had a bounty on his head. He, um, he was in danger of losing his life if he tried to come back down to Kentucky to get his family himself. And he chose to come down anyway. So he made an attempt to help his family, his wife, Jane, and their four children out of Kentucky. And when he did that, Unfortunately, the river was high and the river was fast, and the boat that Jane and the children was on um, got away from the group and was captured downstream around East Bend area. And they were immediately recaptured, and uh, their slaveholder uh, sold them on the auction block in Georgetown. The point I want to make about that is Jane Stevens' biological father was her slaveholder, Benjamin Stevens. So that kind of gets into some of the complex situations we have going on in Boone County. So the slaveholder sold his daughter and her children, his grandchildren, on the auction block because they tried to escape from him. He had told, after the escape attempt, he had told Laura Smith-Havlin, so this is this is Benjamin Stevens, he told Laura Smith-Havlin that Jane had died, which she didn't, but he lied. And he, he, he told her that he had died because um, Laura Smith-Havlin was very, very feisty. She was, she was uh, a very strong woman, and so she was mad that Benjamin Stevens wouldn't let the family leave Kentucky and come up to Michigan. So so she sent him a series of letters. And eventually, uh, Benjamin Stevens was like, she died of cholera. You know, you can't save her because she's gone. And so we believe that Benjamin Stevens did that solely for the purpose of getting Laura Smith-Havlin to stop writing him. Um, right after that last third escape escape attempt, um, John White was recaptured, but no one knew who he was, and he was not recaptured with the group. He was kind of recaptured a day or two later, and um, Levi Coffin and and their helpers from Cincinnati were able to come and um, get him, get John White, and and take him up into Canada uh, for a while. And that's where um, he stayed 
for a few years until he could come back to Michigan. And, and um, John White eventually um, eventually married again and had a, had another family. So for a long time, we thought Jane Stevens had died. Uh, but then we, we found a letter that was posted. It was an ad that was posted in the newspaper after the Civil War uh, by a woman who uh, had changed her name a little bit but identified herself as um, Jane Stevens with her children and was asking in an ad who all those children, where all of her children went because they were all sold and then dispersed, right? So they all went to different slaveholders. Um, and they, they somehow, um, three, and I believe there were five children. Uh, I believe three of the five children eventually made contact with Jane Stevens and her, her new husband, uh, out, I think in Kansas. And they went and, and she was able to reconnect with them. Um, we have not been able to find the location of two of the young girls who, uh, who were sold after the last escape attempt, uh, but we're going to keep trying to look for them. So there's a lot that goes on in, in Rabbit Hash, and that's just a little bit of, of the stories. Um, Rabbit Hash is, is, is a complex area. There was a, uh, quite a few slaveholders in the area. It was mostly agriculture and farms, and Rising Sun was very active in the Underground Railroad. So we are still unpacking all those stories, but it's definitely worth a visit. After Rabbit Hash, we we kind of follow the river all the way up to Petersburg. During the mid-1800s, Petersburg was a hub of activity with the distillery and trade both up and down the river. So, you know, around 1850, 1860, Petersburg was the biggest town in Boone County, and it was the wealthiest. The distillery was well-known throughout the whole region uh, with lots of whiskey production, and there were a lot of people coming and going out of Petersburg. Adjacent Warrensburg, Indiana, was a key station on the Underground Railroad where conductor Elijah Anderson lived during this time period. The 1853 escape of the Cincinnati 28 was one of the better known escapes from Boone County. Now, you all are going to be hearing about um, the Cincinnati at some point during um, during this month and on, on a podcast. But what we want to talk about really is the Cincinnati 28. Uh, we've been able to identify the major family slaveholders who held the 28 individuals. We know the Parker family. Uh, Wash Parker was reputed to be the leader of the group. Um, and there was the Terrell family who had also held slaves that were married. The Parkers and the Terrells were married into one and each other. And so they had close family ties. And through... Um, tax records, we can find, we were able to, to look and find large groups of enslaved who who left 
1853. So there's difference between the 1853 and the 1854 tax records as to how many enslaved were held by the Parker and the Terrell families. Um, and that's kind of how we were able to go, oh, okay, this is where they lived. This is who they escaped from. Um, we also believe, based on uh, other information, that they crossed at Garrison Creek in Boone County over um, to the east side of the Great Miami River. So at this stop, we, we talk about that that big escape. Um, we also talk about uh, George W. Brasher, who was a slaveholder and um, a, a, a slave catcher. He also uh, dealt in, in enslaved people. Um, and he arrived in Boone County in the early 1820s. How we like to tie in, him in is that he actually held John White before John White's escape to Michigan. So uh, it's interesting how these, these stories kind of tie together. And what we're looking at is that we believe that John White may have been held in Petersburg. We don't know for certain, but uh, George Brasher owned uh, a couple properties in Petersburg that where we think he was holding enslaved um, before they were sent down river. And so we suspect that that may have been what was happening uh, to John White uh, at the time of his escape. We also talk about Joseph C. Jenkins. So Joseph C. Jenkins owned a beautiful, large Italian house on top of the hill overlooking Petersburg. Uh, Jenkins uh, was partial owner of the distillery at one point. He owned a mill down in town, and he was a very wealthy man. And in 1862, his farm was burnt down, and they say it was in retaliation for his work on the Underground Railroad. So we had this oral history and information that, again, just like Trundle, he was helping, reportedly helping on the Underground Railroad, helping slaves escape, uh, find freedom. And um, his, his barn with all of its prized livestock was lost in a fire. Another sort of coincidence with Jenkins is that we find in 1860, there is a young enslaved woman and two children living in his household. Um, they are enslaved at this time. Up until that point, uh, Jenkins had not held any enslaved. Uh, searching through the records and finding the children revealed that the children's father was Wash Parker, the enslaved man who helped um, the Cincinnati 28 find freedom up in Canada. So they were also living in Jenkins' household. Probably back, I guess, 2007, I was invited to go look at, at the house. And in the house on the second floor, there was a section that was for servants, or we believe where the enslaved family lived. 
And in the floorboards of the house was a trap door leading to a small space in the middle of the, the building. On the second floor, in the middle of the house, is a small room that you can only access through the trap door. We were able to find that on a visit in 2007. The house also has a tunnel from the basement of the house down to the river. The house is up on the hill. Most likely the tunnel was used primarily for um, bringing supplies and livestock up the hill to the house. Um, but certainly because Jenkins was well suspected as as helping on the Underground Railroad, probably it was an existing tunnel that could have been used at some point, especially if he had his own dock going from uh, the riverfront at Petersburg over to Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Um, so he's another individual individual that we like to talk about at stop four in Petersburg. The final stop that we make on the Underground Railroad tour is into North Bend in Boone County. Um, it's directly across from North Bend, Ohio, and the William Henry Harrison uh, Presidential Monument. The Harrison family was in close uh, had was a close association to the families in that North Bend area of Boone County. Um, we we know that there was a lot of activity. We know that John Cleve Short, who was William Henry, President William Henry Harrison's uh, brother, uh, son-in-law, excuse me. Um, we know that John Cleve Short, who was President William Henry Harrison's son-in-law, purchased enslaved from the North Bend area and then freed them and had them work on his farm across the river. And we have oral histories stating that he helped his free black tenants on his farm help other Boone County residents, uh, Boone County enslaved, escape from Boone County and help them up into Canada. So there's close contact between the Harrison family and those, those northern Boone County families. The Taylorsport and North Bend areas were well documented in newspaper accounts as crossing points for the Underground Railroad. Local abolitionists with ties to College Hill lived directly across the river in Ohio. During the early 1850s, there were complaints among neighborhood slaveholders that emancipated African-American family was actively ferrying slaves across the river. Um, that family was the Bates family. William and Peggy Bates were um, white slaveholders living in the North Bend area. Um, up through the mid-1800s, when William Bates died in his will, he freed Matt Bates. And then when Peggy, his wife, died, um, the rest of Matt's family was freed as well. And they lived in the Boone County area 
up through, we believe, early 1853. Um, in late 1852, he was, Matt Bates was accused of helping enslaved. Jonas Chrysler, who was an, uh, a slaveholder, uh, wrote to his children in uh, 11th of November, 1852, and says, there have, has been at least 30 ran off this fall, 14 at and about Burlington, and the rest about Petersburg. Abraham Pyatt, Thomas Graves, and William Whitaker are all the most valuable. I have no doubt if things continue, the enslaved, will be scarce near the Ohio River, particularly if old Matt Bates and his clan continue their privilege they have had. I believe that they have been their pilots and as yet. So basically what um, Jonas Chrysler is saying is it's been a privilege for um, this African-American family, these free blacks, um, living in Boone County. It's been a privilege for them to live there. And he's accusing them of aiding African-American enslaved escape from Boone County and cross the river. Um, Matt Bates was on property right on the river. Um, the William and Peggy Bates did um, give them property in their wills. So the family was kind of right there on the river, on property that, that they could farm themselves. What's interesting about this letter in 1852 is it's right before the escape of uh, the Cincinnati 28 um, in April 1853, and so right near where Matt Bates was. So we believe that um, he had been actively helping on the Underground Railroad and then after the Cincinnati 28 escape, um, probably things got uh, a little bit too rough for them to stay here in Boone County. And they ended up relocating into Lawrenceburg, Indiana, and um, Miami Township in, in Hamilton County. Now, we don't know really what happened to Matt Bates and his wife. Um, after 1853, they've disappeared. Um, so we are a little bit worried. We did find some of the family in Ohio and uh, Indiana by 1860. Um, I do worry that, you know, he, Matt Bates faced retaliation after, after the escape attempts. It was very dangerous for African Americans to be caught helping escape slaves here in, in Boone County and actually throughout all of Kentucky. Um, so those are some of the stories that we have about the Underground Railroad um, in Boone County. So we've been able to identify five stops, uh, several crossing points that, that we can identify. Um, the Universalist churches were well-placed through along the river. Um, we think that people were helping along that way. Um, also, you would find abolitionist families on the Boone County side of the river marrying into families on the Indiana side of the river So, and the Ohio side of the river. So 
they were forming a network to, um, there were safe passages of where to cross in Boone County. We also know of crossings because of information in newspaper ads that talk about, uh, in Cincinnati papers talking about uh, five slaves escaped 15 miles below the city or 12 miles below the city. And so we've been able to take our river markers, the mileage, from Cincinnati and identify where those crossing points are. And then what we do is we then look at who is in that area, who are the landowners, whether they were slaveholders or not, um, who were they associated with, what churches they went to, what groups they were associated with across the river. And so we are now coming up with a more complete picture of the Underground Railroad in Boone County. And it's, it's really one jigsaw piece puzzle at a time to, to come up with this information. So what are we doing with all this information? Well, you can go to our website called railroad.bcplhistory.org, and that's our Underground Railroad in Boone County uh, history page. Um, we have information on abolitionists. We have all the escapes listed. We have information on slavery in Boone County. We have a story map that was created off of our 2019-2020 um, Network to Freedom grant project. Uh, the story map not only in includes enslavement history and uh, under the Underground Railroad tours, it also uh, covers the time frame after the Civil War well, when we were losing that information about these these African American families due to migration, so so we want to find as much information, document as many of the historic resources about the African American experience in Boone County as we can. We also have the tour listed where you can everything I talked about plus more. You can see the full scripts um, under the tour uh, the tour page. And then also we have a page for resources, and the resources really covers um, anything related to teachers, um, the Network to Freedom site is on there, all of that. Um, so I, I really encourage you to go to, the, go to that site. Um, I mentioned the Network to Freedom. The Network to Freedom program consists of sites, locations, um, with a verified verifiable connection to the Underground Railroad, programs with the educational interpretive programs that pertain to the Underground Railroad, and facilities, either research or educational or interpretive centers. Um, again, BCPL is both a facility and our Underground Railroad tour is a program affiliated with the Network to Freedom. Um, we, we developed a teacher workshop in 2018. And then in 2019, uh, we, we did the resource survey and created a story map of those resources. This year's uh, 2020 grant uh, includes uh, the legacy of enslaved mothers, which will really talk about Margaret Garner and the effects of infanticide within, within Boone County and really of all northern Kentucky, and some very strong enslaved women 
who were able to to advocate for their children uh, during in, while they were enslaved. expressed on this podcast are not necessarily the opinions of the Oldham Chamber and Economic Development Office.